And the setup in the third part is this story of part one and two is a memoir or based on a true story. And it seems like this workshop group is working through like how to turn your traumatic experience into writing. So then I felt a little bit like, oh, I did all this work <laughs> working this out, this story out. And then at the end, I was like, oh, it's, this is the setup. So while I found it so interesting and I had so much fun with it, I also felt like, oh, I didn't want that answer or what I felt like was the answer in part three. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Bookish, a casual book club. I'm Laura, and I'm here with my friends and colleagues and book lovers, fellow book lovers, uh, Sylvia Lee and Kofi Adisev. Today, we are discussing a novel, very interesting novel, called If an Egyptian Cannot Speak English by Noor Naga. And just a little bit about the author. Noor Naga is an Alexandrian writer and author of the verse novel Washes. In addition to the Grey Wolf Press African Fiction Prize, she is the winner of an Arab American Book Award, the Bronwyn Wallace Award, the RBC Penn Canada Award, and the Disquiet Fiction Prize. She teaches at the American University in Cairo. So we have, I think we have a lot to say about this book. It's a very interesting novel. Who would like to go first? Oh, I think it's good that we start off by saying we experienced this book in three different ways. Um, <laughs> the way I experienced the book was that it came just like this, but I had to turn it upside down and read it because my copy, which may have been a bad copy, actually starts from the back upside down and moves to the front of the book which I kind of thought was like a metaphor for something that we're starting <laughs> in this position of the, a traveler to this new realm or this new region that she's trying to get familiar with. And then we move towards the back of the book, which is the front of the book. And we experience this kind of metaverse, if you will, this sort of meta narrative that shapes the entire narrative. So I thought it was, kind of metaphorically done, but that hmm. probably wasn't what it was. Because but now I've made value. Like of it. <laughs> no, your, your copy was not like that. Yeah, I listened to the audio version of it. So it was really interesting. I was telling Laura about that experience because it's kind of, so for our listeners out there, the book is kind of experimental in the way that it treats voice and perspective. It is told in two alternating perspectives, the girl and the boy, basically. And the girl is it, uh, an expat, right? The daughter of immigrants in America. And she moves to her homeland, basically, to live, experience living there as, you know, a foreigner in, you know, a country where she you know, she's it's of her nationality. So it's exploring a lot of that. And then the man's voice that alternates is an actual national, uh, Egyptian national who lives there and who she's fallen in love with. So it goes back and forth. So in the audiobook version, the woman's voice, the narrator, she, who is, I guess, 
the protagonist? I don't even know like which one. They're both the main character. Is narrated by and is read by the author herself, I believe. And then a man reads the other, the boy's voice. And, you know, it's almost like listening to a play. It was almost like listening to a play. And at the end, where it says, we hope you enjoyed listening to this reading of, instead they said, we hope you've enjoyed listening to this performance of. And I thought that was a very fitting way to describe the experience listening to the audiobook. It was very much like a performance and it was actually really good. The readers were great. We talked about this last time, right? Like the power of a good reader and the accents and the pronunciation of the different places and the different words in you know another language was really helpful to kind of get a sense of the, the shifting in cultures, even like within her own mind and outside of her. So it was really, it was really fun. I actually really enjoyed reading it on audiobook and I would highly recommend to those who are thinking about picking this book up to, to do so. But I think I did also miss out on like that physical reading of like the different parts and the questions at the beginning of how she begins each chapter with this like metaphysical question and then kind of goes back and forth. So I feel like I missed that part too, because there's a lot more, I think that was experimental from what I hear, like no traditional like dialogue indentations. It was kind of all one chunk of text yeah. is what I hear, but I yeah. didn't get a sense of that because the, the dialogue was happening in the audio. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll let you, Laura. So I, I read the quote unquote normal, normal version of the book. And just so it's clear, the book is, is separated into three parts. And first two parts are the two alternating voices between the man and the woman. Um, and the third part is written kind of like a, like a play, I guess, a script that is a conversation of a writing workshop where the group is actually discussing this character, <laughs> Nor Naka's book, right? Which is the book that we just read, I, I think. So that third part definitely sort of gets meta or plays with meta, I guess. But I have to confess, the I think I didn't know, I didn't realize that the book was going to be told in two different voices. And I think I read probably 20, 30 pages when I realized that, that they were two different voices. So I just thought that they were different chapters or moving. And then I thought it was the same one, same character or narrator telling a story. So then I had to go back and start again, realizing, oh, this one micro chapter of it and the chapter is only like two three pages is the woman and then the second person the the next part is a man and they swap back and forth so that was interesting too and i don't know if i wasn't paying attention carefully enough or you know did the voices not sound that different i don't know so I, it could have been me but i had to go back once i realized that it was different people talking so kofi what did you think of the use of perspective and point of view, narrative point of view in the novel. I had a similar experience with the shifting points of view that Laura had. In fact, I think I was roughly around 20 or so pages in that I also thought like, oh, there's two different, there's this, the guy who's called the boy, Shoker something of a region in Egypt. And then there was the American girl with the shaved head who claimed to be Egyptian. And so with my reading of it, it was sort of like I was, you know, experiencing a a kind of meta narrative to begin with, because I was reading it upside down and from the back page to the front forward page. And so by the time I got a sense that there were two distinct voices, it was pretty much I was 
in the first section and then I had to go back and reread and it sort of flowed after that. Um, there were a couple of sections in, I think, or maybe one instance in section two where the voice was the same person, it's just two different days. And I think it was the woman, the young woman. But yeah, I, you know, once I got the hang of it, it was good. And the one thing I think we didn't mention is that this is kind of like a micro novel. It is is meant to be read in one sitting, like a novella or a very long short story. But the way it was designed and structured and playing with form and the fact that there aren't clear demarcations of dialogue, but in an embedded dialogue and mostly very long paragraph structures, that took a, a little bit to get used to, but it's it's kind of a trope. It's like a literary trope, trope if you're familiar with different types of books and short stories that play with form becomes kind of, you know, a, a little... Laura and I had this conversation about whether it's a gimmick or not, or is it, it's a touch of brilliance. I think Naga does a, a good enough job of making it more of a touch of brilliance than a touch of gimmickry. So I could follow the points of view fairly well. And I, I got the rhythm of when the, the boy from the different region was talking versus the American. But whose novel was it? Whose story was it? To the point that you were making a little bit earlier, Sylvia, about who's the protagonist. I'm not sure. I, I came away with a clear protagonist. It may be both of their stories or maybe about the idea of returning to a place that holds some family and ancestral weight. But the reality of it, because she was going after the, I guess, Arab Spring and the reality of that journey becomes kind of the reality of the novel, if you will, if that makes sense. I think that becomes a central question of the novel for me is, you know, the experience of the American, right, the woman in in Egypt and her identity being very much wrapped around like the way she presents herself, like with the shaved head and knowing that she stands out and like her kind of social justice warrior identity politics involvement um, in the States and how that holds up when she is suddenly living in a country where she is the minority in terms of like how she thinks, how she views things, how she dresses, how she acts, you know, interprets different interactions and responds to them. And seeing this sort of change as she's reflecting on who she was previously, almost with a sort of like looking back on that self, this very like woke for lack of, you know, better word, like woke self and looking at that self as sort of a naive almost and while she's living in Egypt and having this sort of experience and this relationship with a man who is so very different from that and then another man who is more similar maybe in some ways and seeing how she is sort of forced to question that I thought was really an interesting take on it. She struck me as feeling very like alone as very like isolated not just in the way that she thinks but in and in living there but just how everything has changed her perspective on things has changed for her. Uh, for me, I gravitated more towards the female character than the male character for that reason, because I seem to be more invited into the fullness of the character development, I guess, for her than I was with him per se. But I, I see that with him too, like especially towards the end where there's this pivotal, almost like climactic moment of the novel and you see how he has changed. But Laura, what about you? So I 
felt like in the first two parts, the book is asking the reader to do actually a lot of work, right? A lot of thinking in not only following the two strands of the story, but also there's a lot of like really interesting repetitions to follow. For instance, like the boy was like obsessed with how she licked her, his spoon. <laughs> and I saw that he was really hung up on that. And that kept coming back over and over. And I think that's one of the signs when I realized, oh, wait a minute, there are two different people telling this story, particularly about the spoon at the cafe. So we do a lot of work in the first two parts following these two storylines and, and then how the stories, of course, come together when they get together as a couple. But then comes third part. And I don't know if too soon to get to the third part. And the setup in the third part is this story of part one and two is a memoir or based on a true story. And it seems like this workshop group is working through like how to turn your traumatic experience into writing. So then I felt a little bit like, oh, I did all this work <laughs> working this out, this story out. And then at the end, there's like, oh, it's this is the setup. So while I found it so interesting and I had so much fun with it, I also felt like, oh, I didn't want that answer or what I felt like was the answer in part three. I guess you could argue that even in part three, it's raising questions about the construct of the novel, right? Obviously, it is a novel. So even though the author is named as the character in the workshop who wrote the book and so on and so forth, which made me a little remind me reminded me of Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried, where the the main character's name is Tim O'Brien, the name of the author. So anyway, so it was really interesting, but I didn't know how to feel about part three. <laughs> yeah, I, I sort of I'm with you on that, Laura. I think where I land, I can't say landed because I'm still in the process of landing. I think where I'm going to land is that the first two sections, or really the first section deals with her body being identified either as American or as she sees herself as being Egyptian. The second part seems that she's a little more solidified in what it means to be an Egyptian. And that's sort of typified to her second relationship with this guy, William. But that third section, it's about the words. It's about the story, which is not so much about the body as about the self. And I think that that's the sort of meta part of it is that there's a, a, a self being defined and redefined and continuously defined in that workshop in such a way that the subject of that third section isn't actually the writer as it is the story, which is about this person's physical transportation into Egypt and also a physical transformation in a way that either creates or makes her look more Egyptian, but at the end, she kind of comes back into this other uh, space where she's in a more of American context. I mean, that's where I'm landing now, but if I look at the book again, I probably will land somewhere differently. It's not a traditional, well, I'll say it this way. Well, it probably isn't the sort of narrative you would think of an immigrant story because she's not trying to make her way through America with this cultural footprint. Instead, she's trying to take what she has learned about her, her home country, her family's home country, and apply it after the Arab Spring. And it, you know, it's sort of the ideal in relationship to the reality. And I guess that's where I'm landing. So I um, really enjoyed 
that last section more than I thought I would because I didn't expect it at all. And when, and again, remember, I'm listening to this. So it just shifts into this workshop mode. And I was like laughing out loud because the way that that scene is written, the workshop scene, having come from a workshop setting was so accurate to the workshop. I just... I just, I just found myself laughing during the whole thing and cringing and laughing and cringing because, you know, she basically, it's like written sort of like a play. And so these different characters in the workshop are being so like, it, it's almost like an archetype. You have, you know, the one workshop participant who just is all, always has something to say and it's always, you know, kind of negative. And to your point, Kofi, I think it was to highlight, it was part of the story. And I thought it was interesting because in that scene, the author names herself as being the subject of that workshop and her piece, this this story being the subject of it, but it's um, talked about as a memoir instead of a novel, instead of fiction, which I thought was really interesting kind of signal there, and which also alerted me, Kofi, to the idea that it is a continuation of parts one and two in that sense. And the idea also of like, sometimes in order to know your own culture and to know your own self more, you have to have that distance in another culture um, and to see it in relief almost, right? With this, in, in the, with the backdrop of another culture to really test and understand your own cultural biases or assumptions or blind spots. And I actually was reading this, I wanted to know more about like what made her make that choice with that particular section. I found this interview that she did with um, Center for Fiction and the interviewer actually mentions that, you know, metafictional uh, moment in the novel. And he asks, you know, what, why, how did you do that? Like, why did you do that? And she says that many of the members of the a workshop and their comments, which are very, you know, bent on a more progressive social justice lens, thinking about oppression and, you know, abuse and all these other things, which are really important issues. But the way they talk about it, she says that many of the members of the workshop are probably closer to where the girl was before she goes to Cairo. And she arrives in Cairo with this kind of rhetoric in her mind, right, which is very like social justice warrior-esque rhetoric. But I do think that she returns changed and is struggling to articulate what this change in ideology means. And for those of our listeners who are familiar at all with a writing workshop setting in like a in like an MFA program or something, there is usually a gag rule where if your piece is being workshopped as the author, you cannot say anything until the very end. And it's to kind of prevent this sort of interruption or disruption of the conversation by one's own like defensiveness. And it's, you know, giving others a real opportunity to honestly work through kind of like what we're doing now and talk about the story. But she said, Nora Naga, the author said, she thought about that for a long time and felt that it was kind of a reflection of her own, the character's own own alienation coming back from Cairo, if that makes any sense. So like you, you're there. And I kind of get what she means in the sense that like, I too have lived abroad in my home country and realized while I was living there, how very American I actually am. And not in like the proud patriotic ways either, you know, but in these other kind of petty ways where, you know, I have expectations. I'm a consumer. I, you know, want this, I want that. And uh, a lot of that is very, very American in thought. And then when I, and I had these kind of stereotypes of my home country when I was there, but I actually gained a lot of understanding and respect for why it might seem backward to me as an American first going in there, but why Koreans might think this way, for example. And then when I came back, and it's not just me, I think there are a lot of like 
sociolinguists and cultural anthropologists who study this, why when you come back, you feel a sense of isolation or alienation, right, within the culture that you're either transplanted in or that you're returning from. And so the kind of isolation that she's talking about as sort of highlighted in this workshop scene, I thought was really interesting, right? Because she doesn't say anything. It's everybody else who's just getting it wrong. <laughs> like the whole workshop, they're like getting it wrong and they're getting it wrong and they're getting it wrong. And it's, there's something so American about their interpretation. Even when I, I remember there's this one part where the character, the male character is is called the boy from Chopraquit, right? That's kind of like how they, how it's, I heard it in the audiobook over and over again, the boy from Chopraquit. And in the workshop, they're like, you know, the boy. And why did this? Why did she even call him the boy? You know, the boy from. Oh, I'm not even gonna attempt to say it. You know, and then like, like even the way that they're talking about the novel, it was just it made me like, oh my god, it it made me cringe because I've been that person, and it also made me cringe because it's such an American way to talk about anything that's like a non-American setting novel. You know, I really enjoyed it. At the same time, I was a little bit annoyed. Like it felt like I've read several pieces now, several um, works of fiction where there's either. Been in like the appearance of the author talking about like their writing program or the appearance of the author talking about Kofi, we were talking about like the publishing world or, you know, or writing about their own writing. And so I feel like maybe we've, that is a trope, but I feel like, why has that trope been so apparent in the books that we've read this season? I don't know, <laughs> but the author can't like help but appear somewhere in their pieces, apparently this, this time around. So that's how I felt this way as well. What about you guys? Yeah, and, and I'm I'm guilty of not pronouncing where the boy is from because I didn't listen to the book, so I I'm afraid to pronounce it incorrectly. But I'm you know within that fictional space in those workshops, chances are the person would have made that pronunciation known and everything. But yeah, you know that feeling of alienation. I think it happens in a small localized way when people leave their communities of comfort and go somewhere that is completely different or completely unexpected from where they come from. And then when they go back to that space, I'm thinking like James Baldwin leaving Harlem and coming back, you, you, you get a profound sense of appreciation as well as a, a a better critique, if you will, of that environment. I'm not so sure what the critique would be for that workshop, but maybe what Naga's point in that interview is that it it makes something that's already unique and different feel a little more strange or a little more distant. I also want to just spend a couple of minutes talking about these questions just for fun, because they're fun. And interesting and weird, right? Some of the questions are definitely weird. But one thing I found was after I finished the book, I went back to look at just the questions. And I think in the progression of the novel, as you're reading, a lot of the questions uh, don't make sense, <laughs> right? Because they sound so off the wall or so metaphysical. But just so to give, I don't know if you can see this, but like a chapter would begin with a question at the top like this, and this is one of the character's perspective. So in part one, at the top is a question like this one, and I really like this question, it says, which is more frightening, to wake up with injuries or a weapon in your hand? And when I read the question, I really liked the question, but then of course at the end of the novel, after you've 
read it, it meant more to go back to think about that question because you later you find out about injuries and weapons, right? Because of the violence. So yeah, I don't know if you guys have had a, like a favorite question or metaphysical metaphysical question from that part one, but I I really enjoyed the questions. It was fun. Yeah, there was a there was there are there are a bunch. My this one appears on page twenty seven says question when is a confession of addiction not a foreshadowing and so there's something in these questions where they appear and how the story goes yeah i think that we're supposed to go back because the question you read i would imagine the injuries and the weapon depends on whose hands they are being woke up in like so if you wake up and use what you have to vilify someone who has injured you, that can be kind of like the weapon. Or if you dwell on those injuries, that can be another way of looking at it, I guess. And I don't know if there's ever really a clear answer one way or the other. I think that makes it unique as well. But having not experienced those questions, Sylvia, in your listening, does that shape the way you think about some of the, what you heard? Well, so they read the question before the chapter, like as they're reading the chapter, they'll read the question, whoever's perspective that chapter will be in. And then I read the chapter. So it was interesting that that's how I realized after a while, like maybe like 30 minutes of listening, that the questions were beginning a new sort of perspective shift and a new chapter. So then it was helpful because it became the anchoring point. So every time there was a new question, it became like a new, you know, okay, I could reset my brain to think like, all right, now we're going to shift or became the signal for that. So that's how I that's how I realized that it was different. But that and the the difference of voice, obviously, the difference of reader in in that section. You know, at first, I think the questions had more weight for me. Like I remember some of them standing out, like the confession of an addiction, not a foreshadowing. That one was very prominent to me. And then the obviously that one, the weapon. Which thinking about it now, you're right. Like in the workshop, there's this whole exchange about you know why should she have to have this sympathetic voice for this walking red flag of a toxic male who is an abuser and why should she have to like talk about her abuser and things like that and her not being able to provide a response and me taking the voice of the author like taking becoming the author because i'm as a listener and a reader we can't also respond in that workshop we're in the same position of the author i felt so like thinking about thinking through that when another workshopper said this is almost like it's unfair also to the to the abuser because they can't speak for themselves and then someone else retorted well you know that person's an abuser anyways so it's kind of like an interesting thing like Kofi what you're talking about like who is wielding the weapon and what is the weapon in this case you know um, is the novel the weapon is the ability to present this story a certain way power and so yeah some of those questions but then after a while to be honest, I lost track of the questions because they each one was so like heavy laden. They were like big metaphysical questions that like my brain, I think re- listening to it in audiobook format could only absorb so much of that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I kind of lost track of most of the questions, to be honest. But um, I, I do think it was a good way to begin each chapter, I guess we'll say, uh, because it did signal like something else for you to think about as the story progresses. So, yeah, that's what I thought. All right. Well, I think we are all out of time on this one. This was a really interesting short read, I guess is a way to put it. And 
I'd really encourage our listeners to pick up a copy, whether it's upside down, a paperback novel, or on audiobook. I think the audio, I recommend the audiobook, but that's just me. So, you know, Nor Nagas, If an Egyptian Cannot Speak English, really fascinating book by a really talented author. And yeah, if you have any thoughts on it, if you happen to read it, or if you have read it, please drop us a line um, on our Facebook page, Bookish, a casual book club. And you can also find us on Podbean, bookish, a casual book club.podbean.com. You can also find us through jargondigitalradio.podbean.com. And you can also find us on YouTube as usual under the Howard Community College channel, Bookish. That's it for all. It's great to talk with you guys about this book and to read something that I maybe not, would not have picked up on my own. So I really appreciate the recommendation. All right, folks. Until next time. Bye. Bye. See you next time. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.